It is good to be with you in the East Venue and to be able to share the truth of God's Word today. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the New Testament, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. In a moment, we will be reading verses 1 through 9 together out of Mark chapter 10. Uh, Our Talk About It series is Diving Deep, and we are being confirmed week after week, day after day, that these topics are real in the world that we live. Uh, They are really close to many of us in the world that we live, and they're topics that are going to grow and become more relevant for us as the body of Christ. Today, we wanted to pull out and single out the topic transgender. Transgender movement is real, and we want to be able to look at it through the lens of Scripture. Over the last two weeks, we have began conversations, one on mental health, one on sexual attraction. And I say began because conversations continue. And we want to remind you that we want to be here to have those conversations. Our website has a list of resources that I'd encourage you to check out. If you go to lbcchelsea.com, You can go to the watch link at the top right-hand side and under resource tab. If you click there, then you'll see the logo, Let's Talk About It, and there will be updated resources on a weekly basis. If you missed these sermons in the past two weeks, they're archived, and I kind of joked with Kyle today and through the week that, uh, hey, just remember, I'm preaching in the East Venue. You're going to be archived on the website this week. And uh, But I, I am confident in how we approach this topic today, and I'm glad that we do not have to come in despair or discouragement when we face hard topics, real topics in the world in which we live. Some even ask us, why do we need to talk about these things in the church? And I want to just remind you, haven't had a chance to be FaceTime with you yet, but to hear me say To be really frank in answering that question, if we as the church miss the opportunity to disciple believers in truth, particularly our next generation, the world is aggressively discipling all of us, particularly that next generation. And so we don't have an option if we want to make disciples other than to speak truth into our culture and into God's people, and we want to be faithful in doing that. We must be as straightforward about the truth of God's Word as the world is blatantly straightforward about the lies that it speaks. And as we lean into the topic today of transgenderism, some argue that You know, the Bible really has nothing to say about that. That word is not used in the Bible. Jesus himself never said anything about transgender. And though we do not have a chapter and verse that says, Thou shalt not transition from male to female or female to male, we want you to understand the Bible has a whole lot to say about gender and about sexual identity in a plan that he has created and that he has designed and that he said in the beginning was very, very good. If we pause and we think back, it hasn't been very long that we started hearing about transgender identity. In fact, just a number of years ago, that word was heard very little. Now it's heard almost every day. We find ourselves today in the midst of a real transgender movement. 
Just a few days ago, the CDC reported that one-fourth of high school students now identify as LGBTQ. One-fourth. You want to know how the world changes culture? They go to the next generation. They indoctrinate them. They normalize things that God has called and spoken out against. Transgenderism as a, is a cultural trend. It is massive. It is complex. It encompasses fields of genetics, fashion, medicine, law, education, entertainment, athletics, marketing, politics, and religious liberty. As believers, we must think through. We must pray through. We must walk through these issues through a biblical lens. We must invest into our children, and we must invest into our grandchildren the truth of God's Word in order to reveal the lies of the world around us. And that's the heartbeat of the series that we are praying over and persevering through. We want to begin conversations and help equip parents and grandparents family members, and our students that are on the front line of these issues. And they'll tell you they are real and they're prevalent in our schools, middle school particularly, high school and college campuses. If you're about to hit one, you're going to see it's more prevalent there, even at the University of Mobile, even at Samford University. These issues are real topics, and so we need to dive deep in them. As believers... At the same time, we need to learn how to patiently love, counsel, and be a friend to those who are struggling with confusion. To those that say their psychological identity as male or female contradicts their assigned biological sex. Yet at the very same time, we must stand firm in truth and be able to speak truth in love with grace to those that are confused. Keep in mind, we are not the good people, those who have it all together, trying to tell all the bad people how to be good. That's not what God's called us to do. Rather, we are guilty sinners who have been saved by grace, through faith, by the only good person that has ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. One person put it this way, we are just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And so we must not be self-righteous. We cannot come across as being judgmental in a negative way, though we will stand on truth. But we must approach sinners and those who are confused, those who are hurting in the manner that our Savior approached them in when he walked on the face of the earth. For Jesus, he was not a stranger to controversial issues or conversations. Mark chapter 10 is going to introduce one of those conversations. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus by baiting him to contradict the scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament scriptures. The question they posed to him was narrowly focused on whether or not divorce is lawful. So that's the context of what we're about to read. But Jesus' reply reached a far deeper subject than just divorce and marriage. His answer gets to the heart of how God created in the beginning and provides a solid example of how to use the Bible to understand God's design for humanity. 
Jesus may not have used the word transgender. It was not common in that day. But he used a, an understanding of Scripture to go back to the beginning as to how God created and give us an example of how to have these conversations. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to be exposed as a false teacher. They were trying to get him to contradict the law of Moses. And so they asked him about marriage and divorce. And Jesus inquired, what did Moses command you? He knew they knew scripture. They responded, well, he allowed a certificate of divorce, provisions that are documented in Deuteronomy 24. Then Jesus' response was crystal clear. Hear it. Any certificate of divorce provision was because of the hardness of the heart of sinful man. Now, that is still what creates confusion in our culture today. This context is marriage and divorce. Our context is how in the world do we approach sexual identity and gender identity in a confused world? Jesus said, but from the beginning... This was not God's design or purpose. Hang on to that. But from the beginning, this was not God's design and purpose. Mark chapter 10, if you have your place, I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand and let's read verses 1 through 9 together. I read aloud and ask that you follow along. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. That is Jesus. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? So what does the Bible say? What does Scripture say? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and, and dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So then there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pray. Father, Give us clarity, give us understanding from a biblical perspective, and give us courage to speak truth in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So what Jesus did is the framework for what we need to always remember to do in these kinds of conversations. Jesus took them back to the beginning, the book of beginnings, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and the best way to handle this kind of topic like transgenderism in our culture is to be first clear about what God has said about sexual identity and about particularly how he created male and female and ordained them to come together in a marriage relationship, one man, one woman, together for life. Because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, we must go back to Genesis 1 and 2 to see how God created it uh, before sin corrupted and distorted that. Does that make sense? And so understand how Jesus took that argument of his day to the very beginning of what did God say initially? How did God design it from the beginning? And so if you have your sermon notes, this is point number one that we're going to fill in the blanks. I'm a stickler. If I have a blank, I've got to fill it in. So this is number one. God's design 
in the beginning is our standard today. Hasn't changed. Genesis points us to a framework for understanding God's design for sexuality. Genesis 1 and 2 paint the picture of that design before it was corrupted, before it was distorted, God's original design before Genesis 3. In that design, God created them in two complementary forms that we refer to as sexes, male and female, man and woman. You can write down Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, or 26 and 27. God created humanity this way with a specific design and purpose. Genesis 1, 28. Without the complementary design and function of male and female, the human race would cease to exist as we would no longer procreate. Verse 28 says, be fruitful and multiply. It's not rocket science, church. You have to have male and female for that design to be accomplished. So Genesis 1 explains that God created Adam and Eve in his own image, tasked them with the responsibility to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Then God saw everything that he had made in verse 31 and said it's very good. By connecting, in, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus connected Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28 with Genesis 2, 24. By connecting those, Jesus teaches not only the what of God's design, how he created, but why he did it to accomplish his purpose. Therefore, be a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Understanding God's purpose in Genesis 2, 24. That's what Jesus quoted when he said, a man shall leave his father and mother. That brings significance and understanding to Jesus' words as he was talking about marriage and divorce. God made us male and female for a purpose. So when we think about marriage or gender or sexuality, we ought to filter it through the lens of God's creative design and purpose. And so that is a framework to understand when these kinds of topics arise in our culture to remember that God created in a way that was right and good and for our greatest good. But then Genesis 3 happened and sin came and everything is corrupted and distorted. And so in a corrupted and distorted world, there is confusion about purpose and about design. That is real. So we acknowledge that. However, we as the people of God and those who say we want to have a biblical worldview, God's design in the beginning must be our standard today. It is not outdated. It's not irrelevant. In fact, the only way to have greatest fulfillment and greatest joy and greatest happiness in life today is to do things God's way. Statistics are starting to verify that with this very subject of LGBTQ plus whatever else. Number two on your notes. This is a foundational argument of our world. This is the answer. Biological sex and gender expression are connected. Are connected. They're tied together. Cannot be separated. Throughout history, most people have upheld this belief. And the natural connection between biological sex 
and one's self-understanding. Ever heard that term? Self-understanding of male and female. This common belief of natural connection between biological sex and gender expression has been attacked and severed in our culture today. Their argument in the world, the lie is that there is a disconnect between biological sex and gender expression. They're not connected. The biblical truth is they have to be connected. And so from their argument of not being connected, then you can have gender confusion. Gender is now widely construed in our society as a social construct that is not dictated by biological sex. So you can be a biological male and say, inside, I am confused and at odds with my body because I am a female on the inside. And so self-identification that I inside am a female and I'm trapped in this male body. That's how that argument can come to exist when we separate what God created to be together, biological sex and gender expression. Just clarification on some terms. Sex refers to biological makeup for reproduction, male or female. Gender identity, here's how the world defines it. The American Psychological Association says, gender identity refers to a person's internal sense of being, male, female, or something different. Internal sense of being. Hang on to that. Transgender is a broad term that refers to the many ways that people might perceive their gender identity to be out of sync with their biological sex. And so when we talk about the transgender movement, it's talking about people that are confused about biological sex and gender expression being at odds with each other. Just a note, in 2013, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM, classified the transgender ex experience as a gender identity disorder. But in 2013, that changed. Today, the transgender experience is no longer listed as a disorder. Rather, it is identified as gender dysphoria or mental, dis mental stress that some people experience as a result of their perceived gender identity being out of sync with their biological sex. Seeing the changes in the meaning of terms like this reveals that we are dealing with radical changes in our culture's understanding of sex and, gen and gender. There's no secret there. It is imperative then that as followers of Christ, we learn how to distinguish truth from error when it comes down to gender and sex. Don't miss what we see Jesus doing in Mark 10. Takes them back where? To how God designed it in the beginning. To the purpose God put on it in the beginning of humanity as male and female and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. Here's the bottom line. If you're asleep, wake up. If you want to go to sleep, wait till after this. So here, the Bible teaches that God made us male or female, and no matter how our own feelings or confusion, we should act in accordance with the biological reality of God's good design. In other words, God didn't make a mistake. It's not accidental. It's not incidental. 
You're not a messed up person if, if, if you think that you are a female on the inside and a male on the outside and say, God just messed up. God didn't create me right. That's not the right rationale. The right rationale biblically is to understand what God did in the beginning was right. Is there tension and confusion within you? Could be. And we'll get to that. There is a reality there. Transgenderism then falls short of the glory of God and is not the way to walk in obedience with Christ. In an article, What Does the Bible Say About Transgenderism? Dr. Kevin DeYoung unpacks what he calls three scriptural building blocks that reinforce his conclusion that transgenderism is out of sync with what God did in the beginning. One is gender binary. That's a word we can hang on to. What that means is that the Bible knows no other gender categories besides male and female. It doesn't matter what your applications are saying. God created them male and female, and he didn't say there's X over here for you to decide what you want to be. We know from Genesis 1 and 2 that the categories of male and female are part of God's design from the very beginning, and they're good. This God, who is our creator, desires our greatest good. He loves us more than any other, and, and we have to wrap around that if this God created us and designed a certain way, and he desires our greatest good, and he loves us more than any other, then I'm just going to believe that his way is best, no matter what kind of confusion, conflict, or struggle that I might go through in dealing with it. When God created the first human pair in his image, he created Adam and Eve, male and female, he made the woman, Eve, to be a complement and a help to the man. In other words, this design created by God is perfect design for them to fit together in every way. Far from being mere cultural construct, God depicts the existence of a man and a woman as essential for his created plan. Gender identity, second term. The argument in culture, again, is that one's biological sex and gender expression are not connected. Thus, my biological sex and my inner self or feelings can be at odds with each other. Thus, the world would say, only by living as the opposite sex can I fully embrace my true self. Ever heard anything like that? The question is not whether or not such persons are out there and such feelings exist. Is there confusion? Is there tension? Is there conflict internally with many, many people? Absolutely there is. Can a person be a professing Christian and be confused? Yes, with an asterisk by it. And that asterisk is there is forgiveness for being out of bounds with God's word but that forgiveness requires repentance and living the way that God designed it in the beginning. We understand that following Christ in general means that all of us daily have to deny self. Fair statement? And so that would mean for the heterosexual man that, that when sexual temptation and impure thoughts and lust come, he has to deny those in order to be in sync with who God wants him to be. Also, as followers of Christ, it means we have to have renewed minds day by day, Romans 12, 2. That the only way we battle the lie of the world and confusion that the world has to offer is to go to the truth of God's word, 
What does God have to say? Wash our minds with truth and be renewed in our minds. And then Ephesians 4, 17 and 18 reminds us, then repentance, no longer walk as you used to be in your lostness, in your darkness. Now that you're in Christ, you have a different kind of life and a power within you to enable you to live in a way that pleases God. Being true to ourselves is always a false choice when it means going against God's plan. If you're deciding in, this midst of, in the midst of a struggle or confusion, be true to myself, what I think myself is saying to me, what I feel on the inside, or thus saith the Lord, the only right way is thus saith the Lord, the God who is the creator, the God who is the giver of life. Uh, if, if we believe we have a creator, then we must believe that creator has authority over that which he created, which is us. And if we believe he has authority over that which he created, my life, then that means I'm answerable to him, whether I believe that or not. If he's my creator, he has authority over me, my, uh, my, my accountability is to that God who created me. As much as contemporary academia says otherwise, the Bible teaches the organic unity of biological sex and gender identity. This is why male and female are uniquely the type of pair that can reproduce. Gender binary, gender identity, and number three, gender confusion. If the binary of male and female is God's design... And if we're meant to embrace by divine design our biological and creational difference as men and women, male and female, then it stands to reason that the confusion of these realities will be displeasing to the Lord. So anything that contradicts how God designed it from the beginning is still today displeasing to him. The Bible says that men should not act Sexually as women, Leviticus 18, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that men should not dress like women, Deuteronomy 22, and that when men and women embrace obviously other gendered expressions of identity, it is a disgrace, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 14, and 15. The Bible is not unclear. The Bible has much to say about gender and sexuality. We do not have an inalienable right to do whatever we want with our physical selves. We have a creator who has authority over us. We belong to God and should glorify him with our bodies. As children of God, that's what we're called to do. Our body is the temple of God. Whatever we do in word or deed, we're to do it for his glory. You cannot bring him glory and trespass against his created design and purpose. Without intervention of things like puberty blockers, surgeries, and unbiblical counsel, well over 80% of teens grow out of gender confusion by the time they go through puberty. Let that resonate. It's outside of what you're going to hear in the media. But the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 5th edition, which is the authoritative handbook of psychology and psychiatry, states that as many as 98% of gender-confused boys, 
and as many as 88% of gender-confused girls eventually accept their biological sex after naturally going through puberty. But our world is singing a different song, and our world is creating a different narrative. And it comes down to the reality of asking ourselves, who are we going to believe? The God who created and designed and purposed or the world that is lost and confused? Moreover, even after so-called transition surgery, the rates of suicide among transgendered individuals remain extremely high. In fact, one study is showing as much as 19 times higher than the average population. Being true to yourself, finding yourself, being able to live true, it is not bringing greater happiness. It is bringing greater sadness. It's not bringing greater joy. It's bringing greater depression. And as a result, there is a, a, a serious issue in uh, those believing that the only answer is to take their life. Moreover, even after so-called transition uh, surgery and, and the, the rates of suicide as high as what I just said, <laughs> let me go to the next one. It was the American Journal of Psychiatry a few years ago that had to admit that neither gender-affirming hormone treatment nor gender-affirming surgery reduced the need of gen transgender identifying people being sick in mental health. In other words, their mental health issues increased and did not decrease. Our culture suggests that brain structures and function are what determine one's sex and not one's reproductive structures. God's creation mandates and stands and directs opposition to such rationale. Please hear that. God's words to the male and female, be fruitful and multiply, prescribe procreation within the covenant of marriage. In that context, the terms male and female cannot be referring to brain structures because human beings don't procreate with their brains. Hello. It's not rocket science. The implication of the scriptures is really clear. If a person's body says male while the brain says female, which one is right and which one is wrong? Biblically, the thinking is wrong. The brain is wrong. The emotion is wrong. The feeling is wrong. Without biological basis for understanding sex and gender, uh, gender uh, church, there are no guardrails left to determine a definition of either. If biology isn't determinative, then anything goes. And we are on top of that hill, headed downhill, just like if we would be on a, bi a pedal bike that chain, chain has broken and we're headed downhill and headed for a crash and it won't be good when we hit the bottom. This is why we have seen the transgender conversation move rapidly from individuals claiming to transition from male to female or female to male. Now, individuals claiming to be beyond the sexual binary entirely as they identify as non-binary and gender fluid. You've heard it. The biological basis for binary understanding of gender and sex is the normal genomic chromosomes come in two forms and two forms only, XX and XY. 
from a biblical perspective, biological sex and gender are connected. And the argument of the world is the opposite. In a fallen world where sin corrupts our mind as well as our bodies, what we think about ourselves can be mistaken. Guard it with truth. Number three, sin distorts the whole person. We live in a post-Genesis 3 world, which I've said, which means we suffer from the corruption and distortion of sin. Sin corrupts and distorts what God created and called very good. Keep in mind, we as human beings are both physical and spiritual beings, meaning that we possess both a body and a spirit, and sin has distorted and corrupted both the body and the spirit. Just as the spirit is impacted by the effect of sin, the wages of sin is death, so is the body. There is sickness, there is disease, there's mental confusion, there's death. This includes changes in the brain, how we see ourselves, how we self-identify, confusion. Don't resolve your conflict or confusion by changing the body to align with a gender-confused mind. That's what the world says we do. Rather, conform a gender-confused mind to the biological reality of your body. The world around us is, uh, is suggesting that an individual's fallen self-understanding should determine so-called gender identity. But as pointed out from Genesis, that is out of line with God's Word. Sin distorts. It distorts our body, but it also distorts our mind. It distorts the way that we think. It distorts the way that we see others. And are we going to rely on a world that is outside of Christ to tell us how to think when it comes to gender identity? Number four, and this is most important, Christ can redeem any person. The hope for one who struggles with transgenderism is the same as the hope of any sinner, new life in Christ. Can a person be transgender and a Christian with that asterisk? We can struggle with those tensions and that confusion. Forgiveness is available, but repentance is required. A lifestyle of sinful rebellion of any kind, of any unrighteousness, of any sexual immorality is not compatible with a follower of Christ. And so let's not elevate sexual attraction and homosexuality and transgender movement above other sins. We're going to deal with pornography next week. And that's a more common sin to many, many, many people. And those who are trapped in that addiction of pornography are filled with sexual immorality, and we need deliverance. In the days ahead, the church will be forced to think through these issues and more. We will have tremendous opportunities to be slow to speak and quick to listen, to keep our Bibles open and our hearts too, and to speak the truth in love and show truth in grace. In our homes, this is going to be real. Parents, we are forced to have hard conversations with children at an earlier age. It's real. The question is going to be, do you want the world out there to have the first conversation, or do you want to have the first conversation? There is no cookie-cutter approach as to when these conversations need to take place. No magic age. You need to be 
in the know of where your kids are, where their maturity level is, whether or not they are uh, in tune with devices like this without many filters on them because that is the greatest disciple-making tool we have in the world today. And it's doing a jam-up job indoctrinating young minds to what the world is saying. So be in tune to where your kids are. Be in tune. It matters um, of having those conversations with them. Do you want the culture to set the table or do you? That's just the question for parents and even grandparents. Schools. Other, our students can tell you, at least in middle school and high school, these are real issues. They're not future issues. They're today issues. They're growing issues. The workplace, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Anybody heard that? Been forced with it? Unfortunately, Christians are going to find that tension greater and greater and greater as the workplace forces diversity, equity, and inclusion upon us. There's no easy conversation there. There's no magic line in the sand there. We have to pray through and seek through. God, if, if this is where you want me to work, then how do I honor you in the midst of these demands? Hard issues. Courts. They're going to come down against God's word at times. Athletics, that's all in the news, right? Cultural life, you have a male body but feel like a female or, a fem or have female desires on the inside, then go with the feeling. That's the lie of the culture. A question every one of us are going to have to answer, parents and grandparents, every child of God, will I let the world around me override what the word of God is telling me? And that's the discipleship moment that we have to grow into. Or will I let the word of God that I believe is truth direct my steps of how I think and how I treat even those around me that might think different? So how does the church respond? We have core values at Liberty. I want to encourage you to respond in those core values. Truth, not lies. Together, not alone. We need each other. One thing that's happened in recent weeks is there's been a lot of conversations and a lot of opening up in life groups and hallways. And, and Kyle and I have I've heard many, many stories. That's not a bad thing. We need each other to pray with, come alongside, encourage one another, rescue, not neglect. Students, if you have friends that are confused and are living in this confusion, they need a friend that is thinking rightly and thinking biblically. Not saying best friends, not saying do everything they do, but somebody that can be different, be that salt and be that light in the world that they live. Transform and not conform. Don't conform to what the worldly pressure is, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And, and generosity, not greed, that means I'm willing to invest some time. I'm real, real willing to invest in a person who is hurting, who is confused, and hopes to share with them the truth of the gospel. Where the world has lost its mind, dear church, we must keep our mind. There is no biblical memory in the world around us. And so we, as the children of God, must keep that memory, and we must keep that biblical mandate in front of us. And it's not because that we're so wise in ourselves, but because God has granted us so graciously his word, his truth, and divine revelation. We respond by speaking truth in love. 
We should not speak in ways that are fundamentally dishonest and that undermine the truth of God's word about how he made us. Transgender ideology is fundamentally a revolt against God's truth. Such corrupted and distorted ideology encourages people to deny who God made them to be. We do not serve them or love them well by speaking as if transgender fictions are true. You think I'm going somewhere with this? Just as a doctor does his patient no favor by speaking in ways that conceal an unpleasant diagnosis, we do our neighbors and loved ones, friends, no favors by speaking in ways that conceal the truth of God. For this reason, for me personally, I'm not personally comfortable referring to a biological male with female pronouns or to a biological female with male pronouns. I must speak truthfully, and that includes the choice of pronouns. Now, you have to be careful. It's not a cookie-cutter approach. Every relationship, every situation can be unique, but you, as a child of God, can pray through as to how you can best glorify God, stand on truth, and, and be there in that person's life somehow, some way. But it's tough. The use of a legal name may present a whole other case. Truth-telling with respect to pronouns is one thing, but truth-telling with a person's proper name may, may be a little bit harder. Speak truth and love. Be at peace with as many people as you can. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Believers should not be hateful or rude. We don't have permission to be jerks. Christians should not adopt the posture of scolding the sinner or thumping them over the head with a big Bible. You can speak truth, and we must, but you can do it with love and grace. And speaking truth is going to cost us. It may divide at times. It may be painful in families. It may be painful at school. It may be painful in the workplace. When it comes to the gospel... We must do everything we can to build bridges and not burn them. Let me just lean into parents a little bit because this is becoming a relevant topic. Don't panic, but pray more. Build into your children and for we grandparents into our grandchildren a healthy biblical view early about gender and sexuality. That's a conversation your household needs to have. Guide your child's exposure to the world's view of human gender and sexuality. Be wise about your child's exposure to social media influence. Can't stress that enough. Walk with other believers in a local church. Don't, don't just attend. We need each other. And be willing for your family to be different, even radically different, for the sake of Jesus, if it takes it. These are tough issues, right? But God's word is truth, and it gives us hope to stand on. But the greatest hope of all is Jesus. The answer to all of our greatest need is Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to come to Jesus by turning from your sin and putting your trust in him. And for those of us who know him, I want to invite you to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow after him. 
Get in the word and abide and let the truth renew your thinking. And then walk in repentance by putting off the old and put on the new. And oh, dear parents, be strong and be courageous. For God's word is the light unto our path and the lamp unto our feet. David said in Psalm 16, you will show me the path of life. In your presence, there's the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's in Christ. That's in truth. That's following after God's way. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you reveal clearly your design and your purpose. And Father, we confess we we all struggle with these real issues in our world. We may not struggle with the temptation to think differently or live differently, or we might. But Father, help us to understand that the battle of the mind is a spiritual battle. Help us to understand and distinguish between the lie of a lost world and the truth of a loving God. And Father, I pray for our families as we have to navigate this. Our kids may come home. Our grandkids may come home and and just shock us one day. Our jaws may hit the floor by what they saw, what they heard, or what their friends are doing. Or some are devastated when a daughter comes home and says, I think I'm a boy. Father, we need you. We need your grace. We need your word. We need your spirit to enable us. But Father, I thank you that you've given us your son, Jesus, who's a resurrected, glorified Savior, who is today, in this moment, our living hope. And so may we turn our eyes on Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen.